Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Let's talk about wine. Yes. Let's do it. All right. It's there. All right. <laughs> it, so, is, it is there. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we walk through all the type? No. Uh, yeah. Habakkuk 2. Yeah. Verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor. And it's so funny as I was working on this this, this past week, this one little word I, I spent a lot of time, maybe too much time, but I feel like this, <laughs> this is the purpose of the podcast. Agreed. Like I but, spent, but anytime somebody says I might have spent too much time, they probably did spend yeah. too much time. Well, not. this and and just this this passage is really interesting. I I preached Habakkuk two verses two through five. One of the books I read had about a page and a half mm-hmm. on verses two and three. Had one page on verse five had one page on the first half of verse four and then nine pages on the second half of verse four. Mm-hmm. And like the righteous shall live by faith. That that seems surface level like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, righteous people, they live by faith. But they're like so much on it. And then same with, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on this and some of that time was in your office trying to figure out this one little word in this in this passage here. So this this is why we do the podcast, so that we have a way to offload all this crazy information we ended up with in our head. And and again, it's not stuff that isn't important, but it's probably less important. It's not a driving force in the message itself. So some of you are gonna really really love this conversation. Some of you are just you know thinking, why is this not in the sermon? The reason why it's not in the sermon is it doesn't really do anything with the sermon yeah. per se, but it's an interesting conversation that's worth having. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm sure the translators of the Bible like wrestle with a lot of things, yes. but then what they give you, they're not going to give you like all the details of how they ended up where they're at. Mm-hmm. It's just helpful. And that's kind of how this was. Like where I landed, made it into the sermon, but all of the behind the scenes is just not helpful for like the, the purpose of you know, preaching the sermon. So anyway, mm-hmm. all that preamble to say, mm-hmm. th- there's kind of multiple things going on. So the first thing I want to dig at is this word wine in some translations. There are a couple translations out there that don't use the word wine. They use the word wealth. It says, moreover, wealth is a traitor. And uh, NASB, NIV, ESV, those are kind of the main ones I mm-hmm. use when mm-hmm. I'm studying. Those all go with wine. You found one that used wealth, right? No, it's, well, it would, that was an English Septuagint, tra- not Septuagint, but Dead Sea Scrolls translation. That's what I was looking at. Okay. Uh, I, there is an English translation, and I was trying to the, find The one, one you're thinking of, I think, if this is right, is the LEB, which is the Lexham English Bible, doesn't have that. It has the word defiant, which is not even close. All right. Yeah. The the Net Bible, which is also, the Net's a pretty good translation, uses wine. Um, somebody told me, I should have looked this up beforehand, that like the NIRV or maybe the KJRV, 
something, one of those reader's versions. Anyway, it just kind of brings up the point. Why does one translation say wine and the other translation says wealth? Sure. And that starts a rabbit hole for us. So so then we're going to we're going to unpack this rabbit hole as best we can. Let's go down. But again, it's one of those things that you got to really stay with us here. So if you're, you know, if you're doing something that is you're barely listening to this, right? You're watching your kids or something and they're running around and they're going to distract you. You're probably going to have to listen to this a couple times to kind of watch how this plays out. Okay. So the first thing is why do why is the word wine and why is the word wealth somewhat you know, up for grabs. And the, and the issue is there are multiple, <sighs> there are multiple, I don't want to say translations. There are multiple strips. Well, or, there are multiple tra- translations is right though. Correct. But I'm but, saying, but we, but to get to where we need to get, let's start okay. with the base source for the material that we're using comes from a lot of different places. Yes. So, the Hebrew scriptures, I think we think of it as it's all one, it's uniform, it was always uniform. That's not true. You had groups that were, uh, you know, scribes that were copying things down, and then schools would repeat, repeat, repeat. And so you'd have a number of scrolls at your local synagogue or whatever. The majority text and the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Yep. Both have the word wealth instead of the word wine. The, Meser- yes, yes. the Meresic, Masoretic text and the Septuagint and a couple of others have have the word wine there, and then on, and then the majority, not the majority text, but the majority of sources from then on all have the word wine rather than the word wealth. Right. So there's the beginning of the issue. Yeah, and so the the challenge there is, you know, why are there two different? words there the first thing is they're similarly spelled yes and so you have to ask yourself you know we don't have what we call the autographs any original actually habakkuk used this piece of paper and this pen and this ink to write this or right. chisel this or how however he inscribed it um so we're dealing with like copies and copies and copies and copies and copies so sometimes what happens is a writer misreads a word or somebody's reading a copy that was sloppily written or partially damaged or something and they write something that's close but not the same as what the earlier ones. Yes. And other times we see this in New Testament and Old Testament. There's a tricky word or phrasing or something that just doesn't make sense in someone's mind, in the copyist's mind, and when they read it, they may have thought, ah, there's a mistake in here. This sure. this doesn't fit. So I'm going to put it back to what it probably was. But exactly. what they don't understand is, no, it really was that tricky, harder thing. They just thought the previous copyist must have made a mistake because why would they use that here? And sure. I, and this is where we think maybe the, the Dead Sea Scrolls ended up with the word wealth because Dead Sea Scrolls was the Qumran community, Essenes that were very very much against wealth and then reading into some of what Habakkuk calls out the Babylonians against is their wealth. We see that in chapter one. So it's possible that Mm -hmm. the, the Essenes changed this because in their mind it made sense to them a little bit more. And they're like, Oh, it must've been a mistake. 
a copy. We're going to fix it. Yep. That's how we end up with that. Right. And and the reason for that, just to, this is going to get a little technical for a second. The word wealth in Hebrew is spelled chet yod, sorry, chet vav nun. And then the word for wealth is is a hey yod yod nun. So if you were to put these That's, things next to each did other. Did you have them the other way around? No. Wine. Uh, sorry, if I didn't say, if I said wealth the second time, it was wine. Yeah. So, wine is so the. Wine is, is hey mm. yod yod nun. Yep. And then wealth is chet vav nun. And if you put those things next to each other, it would be similar to um, like the, the probably the biggest thing that's close to this in English would be, I don't know, uh, like if, if you had a W and then you had two U's next to each other in English and someone was scribbly writing them, you could, you know, you could see how one letter could become another letter. I don't know that there's other great examples in English, like maybe a v, two V's and a W. You yeah. Know what I'm I, I think of like a, a lowercase Q and a lowercase G. Like yeah. when I write a Q, I just write the line straight down. Sure. Um, but you know, a G would have a hook that goes to the left and, you know, depending on where that ended up, right. You know, capital I's and lowercase L's sometimes, you know, like they yep. look in our, the way I write them, actually, they look exactly the same and you just use contacts. Like it's yeah. obvious this is an I or no. Uh, so similar to that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a hate in a, in a hey difference is basically a little tiny piece of a line. They're yeah. not even that far apart from each other. Yeah, are they attached or not attached? That's right. all you're looking yeah. at. Yeah, and the and in the the case that we're talking about, the hate is attached, the hay is not. And then the noon would be the same on both sides. And then there's a point on the vav in the word wealth. And if you were scribbling, you could actually end up accidentally making those both look like yotes. So back to your point. So it it'd be like looking at a word and going, I don't exactly know what this word is. What's the best context clue to use for this word? And the very next two woes that we're going to get to are both going to involve wealth. So what someone could have done is said, back to the Dead Sea Scrolls and you know the majority text, they could say, well, clearly we're worried about Babylonians' wealth here, so we're going to do our thing. The problem is that doesn't fit the context of the passage, and we're going to get into this a little bit in the sermon. But the point is that part of what we're talking about in these couple of verses is that these people are so intoxicated by their own power mm -hmm. that it would be a really clever way of saying that they're intoxicated without saying they're intoxicated by just using the word wine. Right, right. And let's let's not dig into that too much. Yeah, let's, not going there yet. Yep, yeah, well, we get there. But yeah, like you're saying, the, even even it's, it's challenging because like you're saying, the, the hate and the hay have a very similar sound. It's just totally. the, the hate has a ch in it. And so yep. you can see how copyists would make this mistake. Now, hopefully their intentions were good. I mean, I'm sure their intentions were good. Hopefully they weren't just like being willy-nilly with the text. Sure. Um, but then, so as as Chris and I actually— Well, early, and one more thing. And they're working with one text. Yeah. Whereas now we have access to thousands. Right. So we can look at the thousands and say 5,800 of them— are all the same, but there's only 200 that have 
the word wealth rather than the word wine. And I'm just right. making up a number. Right. So they don't have the wealth of information we have. So they're using the one and they're like, oh, this is really this is really poorly written down by this scribe. What is the word? And they're like, let's look at the context clues. Wealth. Oh, that makes sense. It's wealth versus we now look and we go, oh, no, 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 no. There are so many schools that all went with the word wine clearly because that was the word that was supposed to be used. But if you're using an imperfect text, you're also, you know, stuck. Right, right. Because you got to think about how did how did this get disseminated? It was hand copied and then a copy was taken to a different totally. geographic location. And so we call those text families today where you'll see like a certain mistake that only occurs in one it occurs like a couple hundred times, mm-hmm. but always in the same geographic location where where we find the manuscript. So it's like, oh, clearly somebody brought one to this area with a mistake, and that mistake Correct. continued to populate this area, which which is interesting because I, I kind of mentioned this to you, Chris. I often give preference to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like when when right. I'm when I'm doing this, when I we we use the word apparatus a lot today sure. as we talk yeah, about yeah, this because because yeah. the the tool that you use to help you make these decisions is called the apparatus in the text that we use. Anyway, um, typically when I'm in, when I'm reading through the apparatus, I'm like, well, I, the Dead Sea Scrolls are really good and they're old because that's another thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you see if you have two copies and and they're different, but one of them is way older than the other, then you think, well, probably the older one is the right one because it came first yep. and then somewhere down the line the newer one got got miscopied uh so yeah so i'm often like yeah dead sea scrolls are are usually really mm-hmm. reliable but this is one instance where it's like man everybody i'm reading and every translation and every commentary i read is like no we're going Masoretes on this mm-hmm. not majority text is is i don't know i don't often when there's a discrepancy, the majority text sure. is not quite as reliable as, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. But now I'm like, oh, Masoretes. We're going Masoretes. All right. That, this appears to be the right thing. So, And it seems weird until you come back to what you were just saying, is that in a typically in a family, uh, a textual family, it's all going to appear in the same region. So with the Dead Sea Scrolls, that, that seems to be the only place that this is happening with the word wealth which then leaked its way into one of the other families. But the rest of the families, all of them have the word wine rather than the word wealth. Yeah. So then just the the bare information that's in front of you, back to that point, we might have, I'm just, again, using a random number, 5,800 of all of the same and then 200 that are all in the Dead Sea Scrolls plus one other spot that are all say the word wealth. And then you start to ask the question, okay, then why would they get this wrong? And like we said, um, we're coming back to the fact that the first two woes are going to deal with wealth. That, that that would make sense contextually why they would make that move. The words are similar. That's another mm-hmm. reason, like we just said. But then on top of that, there's there's things that are being wrestled here about who's being written about and who's not. So some would would suggest, and, and there's a couple of commentaries that point this out, that it seems like some who are doing early writing in the text want to make a shot toward the, the Judahites or people who are from Judah. And so they sort of loop back in, in verse five here to say, that's who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the people who they're talking about that, you know, if they're from Judah and this would be years after Judah has been exiled to Babylon and then now has come back, the struggle with wine wasn't really there. 
but a struggle with wealth absolutely was, especially with the temple complex, which comes back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. And so as you're trying to make the decision in which one makes sense, you're like, well, why would wine make sense? This must be a mistake. Or when you read, when you have two copies in front of you, because you've got you've got multiple copies now in your mm-hmm. little little pocket, and you're like, one says wine and one says wealth. You're like, well, which one am I going to do? Like, well, wine doesn't make sense because this isn't really an issue right exactly. now. You don't have access to all those other families like we do today. Correct. You know, that that is one of the things that's nice is we can, like I said, if you see a mistake in a geographic location, we can, today, we can look at that and be like, look, it's all in this geographic location versus back then, it's not like they could say from you know, Israel, they could say, hey, let's go check right. all the copies that are in Alexandria right. and see what those say, right. you know, there. Which which is really what verse five, I think, is talking about. And I think you you think this too. It's actually speaking to the Babylonians, mm-hmm. not to the oh, Judahites. Yeah. So all of a sudden, when you're talking about the Babylonians, then that does open up the possibility here. Of course, they struggled with wealth. That's the next two woes. But there's another issue the Babylonians right. deal with. Yeah. And that that is this drunkenness. So so what if you're interested in more of this, like we can trust the Bible. We we have really good scholars and that the discipline actually what Chris and I just walked through is a is a uh um what do you call it? a literary discipline called textual criticism. Yep. So if you're interested in any more, you can look that up. Uh, but we want to kind of shift out of the textual criticism discussion to talk about this word wine. So if you if you read, I'm going to read verse 5 here. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is white as Sheol, like death he has, ne- he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So there's something we wrestle with when we preach the word of God. There is, there are oftentimes the biblical authors describe something and sometimes they are describing a physical reality and other times they are describing a physical reality that represents a spiritual or even emotional or psychological reality as well. And so sometimes we would talk about, you know, figurative and literal language. Now the challenge is you can, you can end up on both sides of this in error. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of liberal theology, what they have done is taken every saying of scripture and just spiritualized it to the point where, well, he was just talking figuratively. So he didn't really actually mean like, you know, homosexuality is a sin. What he meant was, you know, having certain types of relationships that don't reflect the norms of the culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's what he's describing here. Not a literal thing, not an actual action, but just the idea behind it, right? So you can like over-spiritualize it, something. But what you can also do is you can also under-spiritualize or over-literalize sure. everything. And when Jesus talks about the the you know, separating the sheep and the goats, he's not actually talking about sheep and goats. We right. we all realize that. Uh and kind of the big joke is always the the description of the beautiful woman in, in Song of Solomon. You know, her sure. like her hair or her teeth are like the sheep in the field, and it's like, yeah. oh, so she has fuzzy teeth, yeah, or like her uh, teeth are made out of yeah. put wool on, you know, and like, right. or her hair is like the goats running down the hill, and you're like, yeah, like you're like clearly this is, is we're that? using figurative language. So, all that to say, we don't want to be in either of those extremes. We want the Bible to mean what it means. We don't want to 
add meaning. We don't want to remove meaning. We want to understand what well, the way we interpret scripture, which I think is the right way. That's why I do it. That's why we do it. <laughs> is to to take the intention of the biblical author and understand that intention because that's the intention God was writing into it. It has mm-hmm. a time, it has a place, it has a context. So all that to say, in this word wine, the question that I wrestled with is, is Habakkuk here specifically trying to make a statement about alcoholic drunkenness sure. and only alcoholic drunkenness? Right. Is he trying to make a statement about the concept of intoxication and not just alcoholic intoxication, but any type of uh, thing that would grab our hearts or grab our spirits and totally consume them. Is it one of those? Is it both of them? Is it, can we be totally exclusive in one or the other? Is it mostly one, but you can read into the other? When I first read this, you know, at surface level, you're like, it says wine. So he's talking about alcoholic beverage. So he's he's making a statement here. But then when you read in the context, you're like, this is really weird that moving into the woes mm-hmm. that specifically mention a lot of things, there's like this summary statement of, oh, by the way, like, you should be careful about alcohol. It's like, oh, that, that just seems a little weird just to like throw a quick jab at one specific sin before you go into the five woes of like very large general sense. So mm-hmm. that kind of made me want to swing more toward like the intoxication idea. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at the word itself and this word, uh, you know, yod yod nun uh, is the root word, yanen. Uh, it's used 139 times in scripture and almost every single one of those is like straight up wine, the drink. Genesis 9, he drank wine and became drunk. Uh, Genesis 14, uh, the king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Genesis 19, let's make our father drink wine. Uh, you know, you just go through uh, Numbers 15, uh, you need a quarter hint of wine for the drink offering. Numbers 15 again, you need a third of a hint of wine. Like it's always, it's almost, almost always the drink. And when it's not the drink, when it's talking about drunkenness or intoxication, there's only two times, Genesis 9, 24, when Noah awoke from his wine, right, using it as drunkenness. Sure. But the specific drunkenness was mm-hmm. because of wine. And then First uh, Samuel 25, 37, in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, like, yes, he literally drank, drank wine to drunkenness mm-hmm. and when the drunkenness. And so that kind of swung me, swung me back to like, oh, maybe he's trying to make a statement about specifically the alcoholic beverage. But then when you read it in context of the woes, you're like, no, the intoxication is what he's talking about, and he's setting up this, This, especially when you read it in context of verse 4, his soul is puffed up, and then verse 5, an arrogant man who's never at rest. Those two pride things uh, have this idea of intoxication. So, like, there was this, just a this swing back and forth of, like, I'm over here. No, yeah. wait, I'm over here. Now back over here. Now I'm back over here. Uh, obviously, if you've listened to the sermon by now, you know I landed on the both and mm-hmm. with these, and not just because it's a compromise, um, but I think when we look at this as a statement to the Chaldeans or to the, to Babylon, like I mentioned in the sermon, Babylon, pretty, pretty messed up place, mm-hmm. pretty crazy. And the intoxication of power was often fueled, ignited, fueled, and 
made worse by the presence of alcohol. Yes. Like we see in, in Daniel chapter five. Yes. Right. You have Belshazzar King who's like has this party and is just getting blitzed and every and it's just this show of power. And on top of that show of power, he's drunk and he's like, let's bring out the chalices of Yahweh. Yeah. Because we're going to get drunk on those now. He's, he's already blitzed. Totally. And then he's like, let's make this worse. And in the ancient world, everyone knew the Babylonians were drunkards. Yeah. It's a common, I mean, it's all over the place. And we, what do you we, think was in the hanging gardens? Totally. Just saying. Well, that, and that's, that's exactly, yeah, that was, I mean, that's, that's the idea is if you think about what makes Babylon, Babylon, the drink is a part of what makes them, them. So then coming back to the beginning of our conversation, it actually does fit in context to drop the word wine here if they're talking about the Babylonians, which I think they absolutely are. Yep. But it doesn't mean that the wine here is necessarily completely literal because it is literal, but it's metaphorical in the sense that it is talking about being drunk with power. But then in another sense, how do you get drunk with power? Tremendous wealth, which yeah. brings you to why the bridge could be you yeah. know, jumped for other groups. And they go... Well, this is what we're talking about, where if you go back to, to verse four, like you mentioned, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Part of what Habakkuk is pointing out, if you go back to chapter one, is there's this wrestling match of, no, these people are not good. They they don't follow you know their God. They don't do things right. And they're just chasing after their tail. They're doing whatever they can. And they're just gobbling up peoples left and right, gobbling them up, gobbling them up, gobbling them up. So what are we supposed to do about that? And so now God says in verses two and three, here's the vision, write it down, make sure everybody hears it. It's going to happen. Even if it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, trust it. You know, It's going to surely come. Don't delay. But the person who is up, you know, who is upright is going to live a certain way. The person who's righteous is going to live by faith, but everyone else is going to be so drunk on themselves, so arrogant, so prideful that they're going to think that everything they're consuming is because I love them and because they can't do any wrong and everything's great until it's too late. Right. And that's, that's going to fuel and you're going to throw in alcohol. It's, it's kind of like what Habakkuk, what God is saying through Habakkuk is like, you guys are, are so drunk. You're drunk on alcohol and it's it's leading you to this place where you, you want to see what intoxication is. You're intoxicated with with yourself, yep. with the power that you have, and so that's the arrogance and the greed, and and death, just like death, it never has enough. You will never be satisfied by this, and so it's it's kind of like an intensifying thing. So yep. instead of choosing, well, it's got to be this or this, and even instead of choosing like, well, it's both of them together. It's not so much both of them together, but it's both of them in progression of one another. Correct. And and so that's, and the reason we bring that up here is I had to deal with this in verse five. So did you, Chris, because you, you preached this in mm -hmm. Winnebago. But we as preachers have to wrestle with these th this type of thing often when we study because Scripture is beautiful literature that often uses literary techniques like metaphor and figurative language to teach a concrete reality. And so we constantly have to wrestle through, okay, is this literally going to happen in this way? Or is this a literary technique to help us understand something different? You know, this is kind of the common problem of the book of Revelation. How much of Revelation is a symbol and a picture 
Are there going to be actual trumpets that God blows? Are there going mm-hmm. to be actual bowls that he dumps out? Or does trumpet mean something, a declaration, a proclamation? Does bowl mean something? And and you can't you can't just willy-nilly like throw one out or just totally like hook into one mm-hmm. or the other because then you end up a lot of times, and we see this with liberal theology, like I said, um, you can so much figurative everything in scripture that you're like, you can get to the point where I heard, I heard a guy, he's not a Bible scholar, but he's, uh, speaks on, on scripture a lot. And he's got a blog who talked about how he believes that Adam and Eve are figurative people, right? That they didn't exist, but what they teach us, he's like, they teach us some really good things because it's the, it's the removal of innocence. And he uses that as a way to teach about growing up. Like what it means to go from childhood to adulthood is the removal of innocence. Now your eyes are open to the real world. You don't see the world with that childish and childlike mindset. Now you see the intricacies, the complexities. You see, you know right and wrong. You know good and evil, and you have to choose to do the right thing. That moment was there for Adam and Eve. And so they, that, that didn't really happen that way. But it just teaches us something about like the removal of innocence that we all experience when we go to adulthood. And I'm reading this and I'm like that while that sounds nice and that the way it's written could really pull some people who aren't grounded in scripture away from the true understanding of creation. But but more importantly, like Hebrews talks about Jesus being the true and better Adam. How is Jesus the true and better Adam if Adam wasn't actually a thing? Mm Mm-hmm. And so you have to, you can like look at that and be like, oh yeah, that sounds really good until you like dig into scripture and you're like, oh, well, you kind of would have to throw out some other pieces of scripture to, to accept that. Yeah. We just have to be very careful when we're, when we're understanding scripture to understand it in, in the way the original author wrote it so that we can understand, okay, is this speaking to us in a literary technique or yeah. in a literal way? And I can't guarantee that we're always going to get that right but this is what we're striving to do. And so even this, this little moment of moving down the rabbit hole, you get to see a little bit of the thought process, a little bit of the craziness. And some of this is from us directly. Some of this is from the commentaries we're consulting because we're trying to make sense of it. You know, when you find, you know, a, a translation or two that have a totally different word than what you have, you're like, wait, 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 what does that mean? And then you dive into the depths of it and you go, okay, wow, okay, the Hebrew word is really close. This makes sense. I could see why somebody would make that mistake. Then where did the school where you know where did the school or the family come from? Oh, okay, it's the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's interesting. Is there anything in the Dead Sea Scrolls that would have made this go this way? Oh, well yeah, that part. Okay, that makes sense. So then we're going to go back to the original word, the word that's used most in most of the families and in most of the translations we have access to. Okay, we're going to stick with wine. But now, now that we look at wine, what is really being unpacked there? Oh, man, is it wine as in wine or is it wine as in the metaphorical idea of being intoxicated? Oh, well, I could understand how it's both. And then, oh, well, so if it's both, then what do we do with that? And then we come back and we go, oh, I think it just makes sense. And at the end of the day, what you hear in the sermon is all of you know 30 seconds to a minute of us throwing something out but this takes hours <laughs> yeah, yeah. of us digging through it. And we thought in some sense, it'd be fun to at least let you in on the, on the loop here and see kind of how this all works out. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's kind of the, you know, we spend hours on this and then it gets a 30 second spot in the sermon, but there you go. That's what we have the podcast for. So we can get this all 
out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw it to you and, and, and talk about Hebrew text without any visuals. Super helpful. There you go. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs>